Welcome to Freedom Fellowship Church in Kakana, Wisconsin. We are a non-denominational, Bible-teaching Christian church. Visit us at cometofreedom.com. We hope you're encouraged by God's Word. Here's Pastor Landon Churchill with today's message. A few new faces here this morning. Glad you guys are here with us. Amen. We've been working through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, I'm going to be wrapping it up shortly. It's been almost two years in this Gospel. And Lord willing, we will be starting in Genesis come the first of the year. But this morning, we're going to consider communion together. And as you know, for you who are regulars here at Freedom Fellowship, this is something we partake of every Sunday. Um, Why? Because it's one of the two sacraments that we have in the Christian church. So why don't we pray and ask God to bless just our time in his word this morning. Father, I just want to pause for a moment. God, look to you, turn our hearts, our ears to you. We want to hear from you this morning. God, we want to learn from you. We want to rightly divide your word. God, we thank you so much that we have the privilege of being able to study it together this morning. God, I would ask that this church would be well equipped for your glory, for your honor. God, just a tool in your hands. We want to be about your business. We thank you so much for the gift that you've given to us, Lord, as we can gather together in your name in this place and study together this morning. So I pray, Father, just the words of my mouth would not be mine, but yours. Just speak through me. I want to be a vessel that you can use, Lord, and we, want to, we do want to hear from you. So we ask now in your name, Jesus, to speak to us clearly. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as we celebrate... In Christianity, these two sacraments, um, sacramentum uh, is the word which is something that is sacred, and it was a word that was actually originally used when it came to Roman soldiers. You guys understand that the New Testament was written in Greek, and a lot of the, the letters that were written, it wasn't just for the Jewish people anymore. Jesus came to die for who? All people. That would include the Gentile world. So much of the literature that we find now in the scriptures is for all peoples. So there is a lot of things that are intertwined. And during that day, Rome was in power. And there was an understanding there of the the sacramentum, okay, which was used by Roman soldiers. It was referred to an oath that they would make of their faithfulness to their enlistment as a soldier to the Roman guard. And they would actually, on a yearly basis, go back. They would return there to Rome to renew their allegiance. So this is something that we're very familiar with. And it's something that we see uh, used here in the church when we talk about sacraments. You guys are familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. As often as you eat this bread, speaking about communion, one of the sacraments, you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And I love, as we've been going through Matthew in chapter 24 and then all those parables in chapter 25, and now in chapter 26, he's still, hey guys, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to be dying for the sins of the world, but I'm coming back. I will return. Okay, and this theme, even as one of these sacraments is laid out for the church in communion, it's something we're doing, and every time we do it, we proclaim him 
in that he's going to come again. So by eating the bread and drinking the cup, we are proclaiming or we're giving an oath of faithfulness. So therefore is the confession of loyalty to him, to our king, the king of kings, Jesus Christ. So baptism is the other sacrament that we see in the scripture. So it's only those two, communion and baptism. Baptism demonstrates the initial identification with Christ and his church. And then we have the Lord's Supper, which celebrates in a continual identification with Christ and his church. So this was the most important meal eaten in the history of the world. We don't want to make light of communion, and that's the one thing that I fear with our church. Okay, Every time you partake in communion, you do this in remembrance of me. Guys, I don't want to ever come together on a Sunday and not remember Jesus. If we come together as a church and he's not in the equation, we've missed it. What's the point? Okay, So that's why we take communion seriously here at Freedom. That's why we do it every week. We do it in remembrance of him to come together. So the church, guys, as we look at communion, okay, it is a family meal, but it's not secretive. It is not, you know, <clears throat> it is to be a public thing. It's not secretive in the sense of being a cultic ritual with magical powers, okay? We're not hiding anything. If you're a visitor here or a seeker, okay, there's not secret things that we know about that we haven't shared with you. <laughs> We're an open book here because we open his book, okay? <laughs> We're not hiding anything. We, we, we roll with what God has declared and revealed, and that's it. We don't have any secret wisdom here. Um, <clears throat> Also, guys, it's, it's in not being secretive, guys, we, we know that it's a public act then, and that's an act of worship. That's what we're doing when we partake of the Lord's table. And how do we do that? It's by gathering together. Well, I can do church on my own at home. That's not communion. It's something we have in common. Communion, it's a togetherness, and that's what happens when we come together. So catch this. You can write this down in your notes. It is not about privacy, but about proclamation. And that's a huge reason why we partake in communion as believers. So if you're not a believer, but you're seeking spiritual things this morning, I'm glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Amen, guys? Right? <laughs> Amen. Um, you're here. You're going to hear the word of God. We get to proclaim to you why we do this meal as Christians. Meal? Really? Just a piece of a cracker. It's not even really bread. You guys just give us crackers and a little cup of juice, and you're calling that a meal? Okay, it's not, it's not talking about a meal that's a seven-course meal. This is a spiritual meal that is spoken of when we consider communion. So here Jesus takes a major Jewish celebration called Passover, one that the Jews had observed now for 1,500 years. Think about the history that they had. Think about his disciples who are sitting here in Matthew 26 with him. The Last Supper. Okay, They have the Jewish mindset. And since the time of Moses, guys, it's now he's now converted it and elevated it into what we know today as communion. 
Charles Spurgeon said this, the Jewish Passover was made to melt into the Lord's Supper as the stars of the morning dissolve into the light of the sun. You see, guys, the Lord's Supper is a fuller view, a complete view of redemption. That's why it's beautiful. That's why we're doing it in remembrance. The sacrifices the Jews did for all those hundreds of years pointed to the cross, right? When we partake in communion, what are we doing? We're looking back. We're remembering what Jesus did upon the cross. Now let's take a look this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. And this is where we find the instructions when it comes to communion. Verse 17, now on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples, I got to pause for a second, okay? Our kids right now are going through the book of Acts. And we know in chapter 2 how important Pentecost was. You guys remember that's when the Holy Spirit came, fell on these guys, and they were empowered to go and be witnesses to the world. Pretty cool, right? Do you guys know that happened at one of the Jewish festivals? Pentecost, okay? It was the harvest of wheat they were celebrating with their festival, and that's when it happened. Do you guys know what today is? Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. I wouldn't be surprised since God in the past, you know, came and did something really cool on a festival. If something else might happen someday on a festival, like the rapture. I don't know about you guys, but I read about the rapture and there's going to be the trump of God sounding. How cool would it be at six o'clock this evening, sun's going down, the trump of God sounds, woohoo, we're out of here. And all the Jewish people are blowing their horns. They're just like, where did all the Christians go? What happened? What did we miss? Okay, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know. Could happen though. Wouldn't that be cool? Anyways, that's today. I don't know if you guys know that. It starts tonight for three days. Sorry, totally sidetracked. Back here, unleavened bread, the feast of it. The disciples were there with Jesus, we're told in verse 17. And he said to them, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared Passover. Now Jesus was an obedient Jew who kept the law and he celebrated the Passover. So being aware of Judas's plan here to betray him, Jesus kept the place of the meal a secret. And Peter and John didn't even know where it was going to be held until they arrived. Now, my takeaway, I love preparing the word of God. I want to get it right that I can give it right to you. But I love those little things where I get to own it. It's something new that God reveals to me as I'm preparing. And this was my takeaway this week, guys. They didn't know where it was going to be held until they showed up. So don't get upset when Jesus, when he doesn't let you know the things that are going on, okay? Or when it's going to happen, when the right time is. That's what God spoke to me. You're not to know everything, there's a lot of things I know that are going to happen or things he's doing, but I don't know exactly how it's going to play out and when it's going to happen. And i got to be okay with that. 
If he's spoken something, I just need to be faithful and say, I'm in. Okay? Whenever it is, I'll be there, Lord. Okay? So that was my takeaway. I also want you guys to note that Jesus was very organized here. It wasn't happening to him. Instead of getting, say, a last meal, he gave one. Okay? He knew he was about to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. We're told in Mark chapter 14, verse 15, that he furnished and prepared the meal. So it was a spread with the carpets, okay, cushions. They furnished it with a U-shaped table, which they would be able to recline easily around. The meal consisted of roasted lamb to remind them of the blood of the lamb, right? The lamb's blood that would be applied on those doorposts. Okay? in Egypt to keep the angel of death from killing their firstborn. Unleavened bread to remind them of the haste of leaving Egypt. And then there was a dish there of bitter herbs which would remind them of the suffering of Pharaoh's slaves. And then they had four cups. And I want you guys to catch this. This is important. They had four cups of diluted wine which we remind them of the four promises that you find back in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, where God delivered the children of Israel. I will, I will, I will, I will. Okay? Which brings us now to the indictment which we find in verse 20. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. How long has these guys been walking with Jesus? Three years. Three years. You've walked with me. You've learned from me. You've been taught by me. You've seen the miracles. And yet, one of you is going to betray me. Verse 22, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each one of them began to say, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you have said it. So look at verse 21 with me again, okay? This is a very shattering announcement being made. One of you will betray me. So John says Jesus was troubled in his spirit here, okay? John 13, 21. And then the question asked, is it I? Is it I? I've heard this taught many times. And that's a good question to ask. Is it I? Evaluate yourself. Check yourself. But in the Greek, is it I? It's actually a negative answer that was expected. So surely it's not I would be a better translation of that. So the men that often debated on which one of them was the greatest now discussed who is the vilest. They didn't ask, is it Judas? 
<laughs> Instead, Judas chimed in, lest it seems here, uh, he mouthed the word, surely it's not I, right? It's not me, okay? Um, fooling everyone, but Jesus, right? Jesus knew. Um, also, if Jesus had pointed out Judas at this point, um, I think Peter would have had him choke hold. Like, <laughs> boom, really? <laughs> You're going down. I could see Peter doing it. You know, you traitor. Anyways, John 13, 26 to 30, Jesus actually gave it to him here. As the host would always do this, it was an honor to be given a morsel of bread by the host. So even in knowing that Judas was about to betray him, Jesus there is honoring him. Jesus giving him the bread was a gracious act of hospitality here. And for Judas, accepting the bread was an evil act of treachery. In verse 23, the one who dips with me in the dish. So in the East, guys, to break bread with someone means to enter into a pact of friendship or a mutual trust. As if to say, I know what you are going to do and you will not stop even yet. So to break bread, then to betray your host is the basis of treachery. You guys can jot down Psalm 41.9. This is even a fulfillment that we find in the Old Testament Okay, to God's word. It says, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. So we see prophecy being fulfilled here. Judas may have had this honored position at our Lord's left hand here, but Judas was close because Jesus was able to hand him this morsel of bread. So we know John was on Jesus' right. Everyone would lean to the left hand, thus leaning partially on a person to their left, and then they would eat with their right hand. So, catch this. We have John leaning on the chest of Jesus, and we have Jesus leaning on who? Judas. Wow. Never seen that in a picture. Okay. Judas had an opportunity. Jesus was that close. Judas had an opportunity to have whispered a word of repentance at any time during this meal. So Judas, here's my friendship. Here's my forgiveness. Will you take it? Will you take it? In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 27, it says, Now after the, the piece of bread, Satan entered him. We know that Satan entered Judas at this time. We see here in verse 24, it would have been better if he had never been born. Oh, really? Some say Judas was just forcing Jesus' hand to reveal his power you know, and setting up his kingdom. Others say he was just obeying God's word because it had been prophesied. Yet Judas was no martyr. Catch this, guys. He was not a martyr nor a robot. Okay? He was neither a hero nor a victim of some merciless 
predestination. Okay? He was a responsible human being who made his own decisions, but in so doing fulfilled the word of God. So Judas was lost for, some, for the same reason I think millions are lost today. He did not repent of his sins and believe on Jesus Christ, the true Passover lamb. That's why people go to hell, guys. It's that simple. They're not willing to repent. I'm going to continue to be my own God, do my own thing. How dare I turn to you, God? Great. Leave saving to yourself. That's a scary place to be in. And how gracious God was with Judas. All right, let's look at the institution here in verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine now, or from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So what do we know about bread and wine? They were very common. They had it with every meal they had back then. Um, very practical food. But Jesus gave them this wonderful new meaning. I love it. Now it memorializes his death. So every detail of the Passover pointed to the great day of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Now Jesus will redirect the details to himself in his deliverance of the world uh, from sin. So when uh, you do this again, do it in remembrance of me, okay? Remember me when you do this again, when you eat of the cup or of the bread and the cup. So when you do this, do this, and you'll remember, okay? Not the slain lamb, okay? There that was to be, you know, sacrificed for the blood to cover the doorposts to free us from the angel of death, okay? Don't remember Egypt any longer. Remember me is what Jesus is saying. So this really is the original value meal. I don't know if you guys like our value meals or not, but <laughs> it doesn't get better than this, guys, and what a value he placed on it. Now, let's look at these six things about communion together. First of all, it's historical. All the Gospels, Matthew's account, Okay, Mark's, Luke's, and John, all of them spoke to communion. From the earliest church records that we have, the church started observing this immediately. Jesus himself is the origin of the Lord's Supper. He commanded that to be continued, and he is the focus and the content of it. It's also uh, familial. The Lord's Supper is an act that a gathered family of those who believe in Jesus, the church, okay, and it's that not an act for unbelievers. Uh, they should be present and they should be welcomed. But as I said earlier, it's not to be secretive. It's about proclamation, not about privacy. 
We also see that it's physical. Okay? It's not the consumption of a seven-course meal. Okay? It is very simple. So we should, <laughs> we should not use playful substitutes. Hey, this morning, we're going to use Oreo cookies and some Coca-Cola instead. <laughs> uh, we, we don't want to do that. We want to celebrate with a, a sense of weightiness when we do come to the Lord's table. And then when we consider the bread, guys, I want you to note that he didn't take the Passover lamb, but he took bread and wine. Okay? I'm a meat eater. I mean, like, how awesome would it have been if he used meat instead? You know, church, I mean, <laughs> but again, we're missing the point. It's not the physical meal. It's a spiritual meal. Thus, he was in instituting a feast and not a sacrifice. That's why it wasn't a meat, guys. That's why it wasn't the sacrificed lamb. Okay? This is to be a feast, not a sacrifice. Why? Well, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8. Again, jot it down. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. That's the sacrifice. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And that's why the sacrament is so important. God's not into sacrifices any longer, guys. There was one sacrifice that was Christ Jesus. Okay, We'll hit on that in a moment. But I love that that was clarified for us. It says here that he broke it and he gave it to them. Okay, Bread broken. Christ in us, bread eaten, or sorry, Christ for us would be him broken, but the bread being eaten would be Christ then in us. Bread partaking together would speak to what? Christ is among us. You guys see how cool that is? So the cup, the Passover requires four cups of wine, two that would be drank before the meal and then two after the meal. We see in Exodus 6, 6, as I referred to before, the four promises. But one of those cups would be the cup of sanctification, the Kiddush, okay, separation from all other common meals. And then there was a cup that would come out that would be for, the, for deliverance or salvation, the Makat, okay, delivered from Egypt, explaining a proclamation was made. And you're proclaiming something as you partook of that cup. And then there was the cup of redemption, the Haggalah, which symbolized the blood of Passover lamb. Okay? But it now represents what, guys? It's Jesus. Okay? And then you'd have the fourth cup. Okay? Um, anyways, this cup of communion, guys, the wine... Uh, it li or lifted at communion, commemorating God's redemption of his people. And this was Jesus establishing this new covenant. Okay? It was sacred binding contract of his own blood. That's why it represents his blood, right? The cup, his blood. And then that fourth cup, guys, would be one of praise, of hope, of expectation. The halal is what it was called. And it was a place during the halal that the hymn that we read about would be sung, okay, right at the end. Uh, so this cup of wine that Jesus refused to drink until the coming of his Father's kingdom. So I'm hoping that kind of lays a little bit of background for you guys, a little better understanding of what was going on during the Passover here. 
So going back to the third cup, the one of redemption. Old covenant, Sinai, right? Ratified with blood by the sacrifice of animal blood. Okay? The new covenant was ratified by what? The blood of Jesus Christ himself. So the old covenant covered our sin. It's all sacrifices could do. And the new covenant puts sin away. You need to jot down Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's done, guys. It is put away forever. Once and for all, we're told. I don't know why a Catholic thinks that they need to re-crucify Jesus at every single Mass. It goes against Scripture. It goes against the point of communion. It goes against what Jesus taught us about communion and why His sacrifice was it. Period. Done. Over. It is finished. Isn't that what He cried on the cross? It's all done, guys. No more sacrifices can be made. This is it once and for all. So, um, he gave thanks, verse 27, like that. So thanksgiving is expression of joy, Godward. Okay, I hope you guys rejoice when you partake of the Lord's table. Okay, yeah, it is a weighty thing. It should be honored. But man, what joy, remembering, man, you love me, God, so much that you were willing to die for me. Thank you for being that perfect sacrifice. We should have joy in that. Also, this is my blood, he tells us in verse 28. So biblically, okay, this, this is a biblical covenant. They were always ratified. Every covenant you see, always ratified with the shedding of blood. Okay, that's how God worked. And that's what Jesus did. It's also mental. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what? Normally, we celebrate someone's birthday, don't we? We don't celebrate death days, but that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Death days are often difficult days to remember. So as we do the physical act of eating and drinking, we are to do a mental activity of remembering. So how does the Lord's Supper help us remember him? I'm so glad you guys asked this morning because I'd love to share with you why. It makes us come to a restful halt. We get to be still and know that he is God. In our pilgrimage here, we get to stop and find a place of rest. It also gives us a graphic picture of salvation, right? Remember the cross. That's why we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. The cross. We look to the cross. That's why we got a huge cross outside here. You know, we could have a lot of different signs saying a lot of different things. But we want everybody that drives down the main drag of Kakana here, oh, why is that big cross at that church? Because the cross speaks much, doesn't it, guys? I know a lot of people question whether or not God really loves them. Look to the cross. You'll find that answer real quick. When you find yourself in despair, hope is lost. Look to the cross you're going to find hope pretty darn quick. The cross, guys, speaks volumes to so many, to all. It also, guys, reminds us of our reassuring promise of his grace. 
And when we come to the Lord's table, it's a clear prophecy of the future. Man, we have a hope that is real, guys. We don't wish he comes back. He's coming back. He's promised it. And every time we partake of the table, guys, we get to remember that. We get to live in that truth. So remember what? That he truly was a good man, a great Savior, a loving friend, a living hope, the coming Lord. Remember him in sickness, that you have patience. Remember him in persecution, that you may have gentleness. Remember him in service, that you remember his burning zeal. Remember him in times of solitude, that you may remember his midnight prayers. And remember him so he becomes our pattern, and that we might be a reproduction of himself, and thus become the best memorial of him. Don't you guys want to have people see Jesus in you? Not because look how great I am and I have arrived. No. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I've turned my life. I've given it to Him. And this is what it looks like now. There's nothing better. I am changed. There is hope. We don't have to be centered on self any longer. We are free to love God. To have relationship with our Creator finally. And I can just freely love and serve you. That's a beautiful thing, guys. So it's about remembering. You guys see the point here? It's about remembering. Not imagining. Not dreaming. Not channeling. Not listening. Not going into neutral. And these things are being taught about communion in some churches. I don't see it in the scriptures, guys. You see, it's a conscience directing of the mind back in history to Jesus and what he did in the Bible, in history. Bread and cup, body and blood, execution and death. It's spiritual. Unbelievers can do everything we've named so far. They can eat, drink, remember. But there must be something more. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 together. And there is something more, guys. That's why we're preparing to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to take a look at verses 16 to 18 together. And this is the something more. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing which we bless... Is not the communion of the blood, or is it not the blood, or the, sorry, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? So what is he saying here? Well, communion is sharing, is what he's saying. It's fellowship. It's participation. It's koinonia. 
And that's why we gather together as a church. That's why God has called for the local body to be together. And that's why we take communion so serious. So these believers trust and treasure Jesus Christ. Paul says that they're participating in the blood of Christ, that they are experiencing or sharing koinonia in his body and his blood, and they are experiencing partnership in his death by faith. So as the Jews, verse 18, shared in or benefited from what happened on the altar, so we enjoy forgiveness in restored fellowship with God in communion. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we feast spiritually by faith on the promises of God bought by the blood of Jesus. And no unbeliever can do that. That's the difference. You're saved or you're not. We all can eat. (laughs) But have you been spiritually born again? We also see that it's sacred. You see, the believers are warned not to take communion in a cavalier, callous, or careless way. Not our goal to exclude anyone. That's not what I'm saying here. Each person decides for himself. Because the Lord's table, it's not an Episcopal table, it's not a Baptist table, it's not a Catholic table, it's the Lord's table. Do you guys get that? Okay, it's the Lord's. I have a hard time. I've been at other churches for other services, and because I'm not one of them, I'm not allowed to partake. Ooh, that's okay. Because most of them don't understand what the Bible says about communion to begin with and what they're practicing is cultic. Okay, It's not what Jesus declared about communion. But there is the element which he does ask us to examine ourselves. So can you be more bad than God is good? I want you guys to think about it for a second. Pastor, I'm pretty bad, though. (laughs) Join the club. (laughs) We're all pretty bad. But the baddest of us, is it better than God's good? No way. I don't think so. You can only sin as a man, but God can forgive as what? God. You sin as a finite creature, but the Lord forgives as an infinite creator. We're told, confess your sins to him. It's one thing I love about the table. I don't know about you guys. Some of you guys probably have it down. Okay? You have your regular daily times of confession. You know, I'll be honest with you. There's times where I don't. I know I'm a sinner. And my confession, Lord, is just, you know, like, you know my sins. I got so many. There's sins I don't even know I'm sinning. You know? It's just one of those things. There's just things there that we do. It's just like, Lord, forgive me. And it's good to be in that place to remember and turn to him and ask for forgiveness, to ask for help. And that should be a regular thing for you and I. But there is a place to confess. But I love coming to the Lord's table because I don't think I've ever come to the Lord's table and not confessed. It forces me to remember. And if I'm remembering his perfect life and him dying upon the cross, it's going to make me remember like, whoa, there was a reason you had to do all of that. It's because of my sin. You died for me. 
because I broke the law. I rebelled against you. You did this for me. Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. I love that. How can God not remember? God's God. Doesn't he know all things? I don't know what happened when he was being crucified to that cross. Okay? Like, did he get hit too hard or something? And he's got some memory loss now? But it's what the scriptures say, right? He will remember our sin no more. Don't ever diminish the greatness of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. It is huge. God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, guys. Think about that. It's gone. It is gone. Well, God should remember it. Has God done what he said he was going to do? Was his sacrifice legitimate? If it was, guess what? There is no sin to remember any longer. And if you're in Christ, guys, guess what? He sees you as perfect, forgiven, spotless, sinless. That's how he sees you. But I feel dirty. God doesn't care how you feel. God is about truth. And the truth is you are holy. You've been declared righteous because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. End of story. If you want to argue that, bummer, you're going to lose Okay, God is always right. And we need to start looking at things the way he looks at things. So let's look at verse 29 as we wrap up here this morning. The supper ends with a note of hope, and I love it. Check it out in verse 29. Until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's going to be pretty cool. Do you guys get stoked about that? I know some of you guys get a little excited. Hey, I get to go to Disneyland or I'm going on vacation and I get to get sand all over myself. I don't like sand. Um, <laughs> but the reality, guys, and this is where our hope is, and this is as Christian guys, we need to put our stock in this. Okay, this is what we should be getting excited about. We get to be with Jesus in his Father's kingdom for all time. That's going to be fun. That's going to be exciting. There's nothing better. It's good news, isn't it? Bad news is, is there a whole bunch of people that aren't going on that vacation because they don't know about it. If they, if they hear how good it is and how to get there, do you think some of them might say, hey, I'm in? I'll go. I'm even willing to sacrifice. I'm even willing to start saving for that. That's worth it. But there's a lot of people that don't believe it's there. Don't think it's real. And how are they going to know it's real, guys? We get to testify. We get to be a witness of that. We get to proclaim. Wouldn't it be cool if we did communion outside on a Sunday morning? Wouldn't it be cool? People driving down the hill. What are those guys doing by that big cross? <laughs> What's happening? You know, I think that'd be a radical. We're going to do that sometime. That's going to be fun. All right. I'd say next week, but we're on a men's retreat. <laughs> we're going to do it soon. All right. So um, Jesus was sure of two things here. He was to die and his kingdom was to come. And he was certain of his cross, and he was certain of his glory. 
He was certain of the love of the Father, and he was certain of man's sin. He was certain that at the end, that love would conquer sin. Man, for the joy set before me. Man, it was a joy for him to go to the cross, guys. He was willing to endure it for you because he believed that his sacrifice would atone for the sins of man, that you could be forgiven. He believed it. Even as he was hanging there and breathing his last, what's he doing? He's responding to a sinner who's begging for mercy. And what does he say? I tell you today, you're going to be with me in paradise. He believed it with all his heart, guys. So we're going to do communion this morning. In Luke twenty-two fifteen, Jesus said to his disciples, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He desired that. Communion on Sunday mornings isn't a little space filler of time. That's not why we do it. And I don't want us ever to get to that point where, oh, it's just a ritual. It's just something we do. Let's just get it done quick and move on. Okay? I want us to come as we gather together weekly with that anticipation that we also fervently desire to partake of the Lord's table together. You see, he desired to eat it with them. Even though his body was about to be broken, his blood shed, his heart grieved, and one was about to betray him, one was about to deny him, and all were about to forsake him, he still desired this. He desires to eat with you. Even though you've betrayed him and probably will again, and even though you've grieved him and probably will again, and even though you've broken his heart and probably will again, he desires to eat with you. Oh, what love, guys. That's love. So if you ever feel unworthy to come to his table, then just make sure that you bring your sin with you to the table. Bring your sin. That's all he's asking you. See, sin gives us the right to come to Christ. He is the Savior from sin. It is a sinner. It's the sinners that we can come and we can sit at the table to begin with. Sin is handled or is the handle by which I can take hold of Christ. You guys understand that. Without sin, why is there any need of Jesus? Why would I come to his table? But I am a sinner. And he has invited me. I'm going to come. And then the last thing that he tells us is in verse 30. They sung a hymn. They sung, really? Jesus sung hymns? Yeah. That's when I say hymns are cool. Jesus cool, okay? So imagine the Lord singing when the cross was just only a you know, few hours away and Jesus is there. He knows what was going down. Persecution's coming. My friend's going to betray me. You're all going to betray me. But I'm going to sing a praise. I'm going to turn to the Father. I'm going to look in his face. Even though this rejection and this suffering and this death are right before me, I'm going to continue to sing praise.
God bless you, and thanks for listening to today's message. For more information on Freedom Fellowship Church or to hear other teachings, please visit our website, cometofreedom.com, or interact with us at facebook.com slash Church.